This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another great episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where every week we try to bring you the best guests from across the fishing industry. Before we get started, please remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers, and listen on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Waypoint TV. We have an awesome guest today. Before we get started, I'd like to welcome my co-host, good friend, the professor, Bobby Norgard. How you doing, Bobby? Giggity, giggity. Good to go. <laughs> Uh, that's what we like to hear. I know it's it's that time of year. It's been uh, pretty cold. I was standing at a forty degree trout stream the other day, so I am ready for warmer weather. That's for sure. Yeah, I've been looking for the ice, but we're not going to get ice this year, I don't think. Yeah, it hasn't been quite cold enough for that. I mean, at least around here, it hasn't been quite cold enough for that. But maybe we'll see it before the end of the winter time. Um, but with that being said, you know, when it's cold outside, I like to think about going places that are warm to go fishing. So we have a great guest on today. Um, someone who actually helped me catch my very first redfish. So today we welcome Hunter Bach. Hunter owns Captain Bach Charters in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Um, he's the co-owner of a new apparel company called Aquatic Stalker. And over the last few years, Hunter's been working on growing his guide business around the Mosquito Lagoon area of Florida's East Coast as well as growing his apparel company and doing it with a lot of passion for the outdoors and um, paying respect to those old school pioneers of saltwater fly fishing. So how you doing, Hunter? Doing good, man. And yep, that's right. That sums it up very nicely. Um, yeah, we've been uh, having a little bit of a harsh winter for Florida, but I'm sure it's nothing like you guys are seeing up there. Our winter has been fantastic, actually. No snow, no cold. It's been great. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So what was the ice you were mentioning? You guys like to you'd like to be getting out there doing some ice fishing or oh I recently it's been my new endeavor. I mean I moved yeah. to Connecticut, so I'm up here in like the northwest corner of Connecticut. Uh and we have pretty good um fisheries around us and lakes that freeze over that they have good populations of trout and there's some salmon in there that they stock. So it's pretty fun. That's cool. Yeah, I've never done something like that. That sounds really yeah. interesting. Last year I got an Atlantic salmon through the ice, which was pretty fun. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Connecticut does a wonderful job with like stocking and like providing opportunities for fishermen. So it's been, it's been a great scary endeavor. I'm always terrified when I'm on the ice, but it's fun to, yeah. fun to try. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a different world for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have ice fishing down in Florida this time of year in the wintertime? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not typically. Not typically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, Hunter, we always kind of start off each episode by getting to know our guests a little bit more. So maybe you can um, kind of tell us your background about how you got started in fishing. Um, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I always really had a, a passion and interest for animals. And uh, in the early years, I was just um, obsessed with Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. And if he would, was still alive today, I don't know that I would be doing so much fishing. I think I would have a degree in zoology and be on that track because that's that I was really hooked on him. But with his passing, you know, I kind of just organically found fishing and dove in head first it's uh i don't know it's it's just an absolute you know passion of mine i can't can't describe it i i love talking to people about like what it is why we like that tug so much but um yeah i've been really interested in it ever since um and uh got into it at an early age both my parents have a real uh sort of spirit for adventure and uh both of them were you know doing a little bit of fishing, a little bit of hunting and camping and sort of everything. So they got me into that sort of thing early. That's awesome. And you were born and raised in Florida, right? So that's pretty much been your, your playground all your life. That's right. Yeah. Um, caught my first fish at, um, Wakava Island or back then it was the Wakava Marina. Now it's the Wakava Island. And, uh, that section of the Wakava river I've fished up until, you know, last week I was there fishing still. So, uh, from four years old to 26 I'm that's a it's a great place um and uh yeah really great venue lots of lots of good fish and a really healthy body of water have you ever uh, left Florida what's that have you ever left Florida oh yeah uh I'll fish every once in a while not as much recently but uh growing up we'd go to Tennessee a whole lot northeast Tennessee uh really closest significant town would be Boone North Carolina and um I think our area is technically called sugar hollow in tennessee there so i would fly fish um the elk river uh watauga the lower watauga or i guess it's the watauga tailwaters that'd be considered coming out of the lake and uh beach mountain creek up there a lot um and then yeah some other random stuff i lived in uh, new york for a while and not much of a, a city guy so was on, taking the train out of town a whole lot to go fish um we went up to croton falls and the never sink river gorge we'd fish a lot up there and uh was surprised how how nice it was just you know 45 minutes out of the city you're in in rural appalachian mountains it was beautiful yeah i yeah. can attest to that i just bought a place in the catskill mountains actually oh awesome um, yeah Never really fished the Never Sink, but the Esopus is up there, and I usually fish the Delaware, the big old mighty D. Okay, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, we were pretty pretty limited, basically, wherever a train would go is where I could yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, you can't get to you can't you can't get to Hancock, New York by train. Yeah. Oh, it is up and coming. They are building train rails through uh Hancock, so maybe one day. Oh yeah. Not cool. that you're in New York anymore, so it doesn't matter, but yeah, I don't know if I'll be going back much either. <laughs> it, was, it was it was an yeah. experience though. So was most of your background kind of based off of freshwater fishing then, or was it, you know, when did you kind of start to get into saltwater fishing? Yeah, yeah. I um I jumped ahead a little there, but so after that, you know, first fish and uh my mom was actually a big influence in me fishing. She was she loves fishing. And so she would take me a lot and or, you know, drop me off and pick me up later in the day from 
whatever retention ponds neighborhood or or the Wakaiba River. And um, but from there, back when they would show the Bassmaster Elite Series on ESPN Saturday mornings, that was like, you know, my Bible. I just I would watch that and rewatch that all the time, get every magazine I could. And from there it was just really self-taught in the freshwater fishing. Um later when I was 13 years old is when I first had we, we'd done so, some saltwater fishing but I had my first real taste a friend of mine older friend of mine took me out in Mosquito Lagoon for the first time and we sight fished uh for redfish that day and we got I think it was three I think I had two and he got one for the day and ever since then it was like oh these bass are not the same but um, I, I still like bass fishing, but I, I, there's so much gear and, and so much that goes into really, you know, nailing the, a pattern in bass fishing. It seems like compared to saltwater, you can go way more uh, just just with less, you know, and and still be still be really on top of the game. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that uh, my tackle box that I have for my bass boat is twice the size of my bag for any other kind of fishing that I do. So I, I totally get that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I love it, but man, it just drives me crazy when I'm out there. I'm like, Oh shit, I don't have any, you know, drop shot, drop shot setups. And I could tell that'd be really great right now or, you know, whatever else, those little minute changes that bass really pay attention to. It seems like whereas saltwater fishing, you know, you can, you can work with a bucktail jig and pretty much make any, any species of fish eat it. If you know what you're doing. It's true. Um, yeah. Now, when did you get into uh, fly fishing? Cause I know you're a big, you're a big fly fisherman as well. Yeah, it was, I, I was thinking about that. And I know in middle school and even later elementary school, a neighbor of mine who had, we, he'd taken us out to the Mosquito Lagoon once and uh, it was just super rough weather, but he was in that world of shallow water fishing and uh, and some fly fishing. And we would, this um, this retention pond in our neighborhood growing up, I would go over there and uh, I was friends with his son is how, how how we got to know him but uh he would take me and his son out in the retention pond and just practice um practice fly fishing and so that's where I kind of got the basics you know 10 and 2 sort of sort of deal uh getting started and uh it was hard I remember it took forever probably three months before I felt like I could actually hit a target that I was aiming for and I remember one day they I was I was really into it. The, my my buddy Austin, uh, him and his dad had gone back inside, and I'm out there just flailing myself to death with this fly rod, and eventually got it to lay out straight, and was just over the moon about it, and wanted to go run in and tell him. I'm like, well, I got to see if I can do that again. I want to be able to uh, reproduce that. So another half an hour went by before I laid out another cast, and then ran up into their house. It's like, hey, you got to come check this out, Mr. Gillis. But uh, yeah, so he that was. Uh, you know, I don't see them anymore, but it was a really cool thing uh, for him to show me that and uh, get me into fly fishing that way. It's, uh, you know, carried that on the rest of my life. So really appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. I know my uh, my fly fishing teacher is on the podcast with us tonight. So I owe it to Bobby for getting started in fly fishing. And I seem to be doing more and more of it these days and trying to learn more and in amongst all the else that I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten to the point now where I'll I'll bring a spinning rod if I'm just out fun fishing, but I really, I just want to throw the fly all I can. Well, you're in like-minded company. I know Bobby is going to agree with that wholeheartedly. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean if it's something new and uh, I usually do actually throw a spin rod first, 
right. like to get one on the board or one on the boat. That's my goal. Like yeah. I like to get one on the, and then it's full on fly. Like that's it. There's no other thing that we should be throwing. Oh yeah. And you know, like scouting too, I feel like you can cover water and find fish or kind of pick up on a pattern a lot more efficiently with spinning gear or bait casters. Yeah. And then once you find them or, you know, figure out something that works and you can switch to that fly and then be really productive a little exactly. quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I'm actually going to do a trip down to Houstonic this weekend. Uh, never actually done it. I mean, it's probably a terrible time to do it. January, it's cold, icy, mm. um, but I've never fished it. So I'm probably going to bring the spin rod the first time because we're going to be searching for pike. Oh, cool. I, can't, I can't just be throwing that around with no confidence. Yeah, yeah. Like thinking like is it gonna happen am i throwing the right thing am i even doing it right but for a spin rod you know daredevil or something i'll just throw that around and i feel it's like yeah, figure yeah. it out fly or die yep yeah yep. i was i was the same way when i went out with hunter that you know never caught a redfish before had to do it on the spinning rod kind of my comfort zone before you know i even considered maybe trying anything else that was more challenging than that yeah that's the way to do it oh yeah um so speaking of of guiding and your guided trips hunter could you tell us a little bit more about how you got started in guiding and kind of what what trips you offer if our listeners were to book with you yeah absolutely so the guiding really just came about as sort of a a necessity to keep fishing as much as i wanted to you know there's you got to figure out a way to make some money to keep buying fishing rods and baits and everything else so um a buddy of mine down in stewart florida i'd um had gotten his license and started taking some clients out and having a really good time with it. So I talked to him about how he got his captain's license. And uh, I think like a couple of weeks later, went down there, went to the same course, was able to, you know, just chill with him, fish at night, take the class during the day. And um, shortly after that, was able to find a decent boat and had some money saved up kind of for that intention. And uh, that was the, the 95 Maverick that you went out with me on. And, um, and yeah, from there, just been getting the word out trying to get more and more clients, you know, cause it's, I've, I've found, I really like it. And, um, uh, I really love putting other people on fish. There's, I've been so blessed to catch, uh, redfish is the main thing that I go after. And I've just found that it's so much fun to get other people on it and you get so much out of their experience as well. Um, and then as far as what I offer, I do, uh, four, six and eight hour charters, which is pretty typical, um i'm not a real like at the last second of your four hours we're not out of there you know if there's one more fish or whatever situation i want to get give the clients the best for uh best bang for their buck but um and then the eight hour of course is rarely eight hours we're gonna fish until we're fish till we drop basically it doesn't i always say it doesn't cost more till the dock lights come on but um yeah and then uh so and that those uh three trips time-wise that can entail sort of uh most people fall kind of into the uh general general fishing charter which would be uh spinning rods and plug rods casting a mixture of artificials and live bait uh in different areas a little bit of blind casting maybe if they seem up to it we can go do some sight fishing too and try to stock some fish um and then fly fishing i can we do everything under the sun that can be caught on fly in central florida we'll go for on fly um with the fly fishing it's specializing in the sight fishing the redfish uh from now throughout the year we get really good trout on the flats but from now through uh the early part of may the trout fishing is really good especially in march and april um 
even sight fishing and um and then the snook more or less when it's warm will get up on the flats even if uh even if you have sort of an indian indian summer type thing or indian winter um maybe that's not the right phrase but when you get a it's not uh, far for them to hop up on the flats a lot of times so that can be on and off throughout the year but during the summertime we get uh, probably two-thirds snook to redfish on the flats and um and then uh so yeah that's the the fly fishing bit and of course we're going to look for tarpon of when uh that season rolls around and um we'll run out of the inlets and look for them out migrating on the beaches as well as a couple channels in the intercoastal that will either slow troll some mullet for them or uh, early in the morning when they're rolling real nice you can kind of drift up into them with the fly but it's not a it's not like the keys it's not a shallow water real great situation for fly fishing them but still worth a shot yeah i remember that about our trip where you know we kind of had you were marking some tarpon in the area we were kind of seeing them come up and roll a little bit but like you said they were just kind of they're just moving through there, you know, they're not cruising up on the shallows, but you know, what's, what's the average size uh, tarpon that you're seeing around there? Uh, when they're, we can get them almost year round, the little ones uh, under 10 pounds in the back of canals and uh, in some mosquito ditches. But uh, from late May for our area, cause we're central to North Florida uh, from late May through September, we get the migrational ones. And those are the bigger fish. That's uh, they're ranging from, 30 to 150 pounds and most of the fish that we see are in that 80 to 120 class random question hmm. you get a lot of sheep's head in your area not a lot but the colder months are best for that um the lagoon's seen some pretty tough times over the last water wise water quality wise over the last uh i don't know since like the worst year was probably 2019 and maybe three years of decline leading up to that. Um, when there's more grass, there's, there was some more sheep set. And now that we're seeing the grass and the water quality come back, seeing a few more, um, man, they are tough on fly. I've out in the West coast around Tampa and stuff, they have a lot better numbers and it's like, it's like, seems like a permit. I mean, they'll yeah. go to fly and not eat it or turn off of a perfect presentation. And then all of a sudden you get one that eats. It's, I, I really like targeting them. Actually. It's just, uh, not not a lot of numbers for us on the flats here. Yeah, well, we don't have the numbers in Jersey either, but our other co-host, Kwa, is sheepshead mm-hmm. obsessed. Oh, um, yeah. And he always talks about trying to go out and do it with the fly. And I don't know, it seems tough. If you're it, telling me it's tough, it's going to be even harder in Jersey, I bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're ever in Florida, the Tampa Bay area, um, Bishop Harbor has loads of them. I mean, just you'll... You'll you'll be seeing reds and trout and other things too, but they had last time I was over there just schools like ten to fifteen in a group scattered throughout the flats and uh yeah small crab presentations and don't let it at least in that area don't let the fly get off the bottom that that freaks them out as long as it's scuttling on the bottom they're more interested. Um, so how about the redfish? You know, like when are you? Is there a certain time of year where you're typically seeing your biggest redfish or the most redfish? Yeah, um, when it's really in the summertime, excuse me, in the summertime, you get the bull reds a little bit more concentrated in deeper water, certain, um, it's basically on our intercoastal channel and either out by the jetty at the mouth of the inlet of New Smyrna or Ponce Inlet. Um, and then just different places like the bridges and then a lot of um, where you have an outgoing tide little spills off of the flats, little creek mouths off of the flats that have the shrimp and the bait. 
coming out. They'll sit in that part of the channel and you can get those uh, pretty consistently. I found this um, this last summer in August, a school popped up in uh, the lower lagoon on these flats and um, it was wild. They stayed there for like two and a half weeks. I don't, I'm not sure really what they were doing up there, but for two and a half weeks, we had, you know, in this one area, it was maybe, it seemed like 50 to 60 fish and they were all over 40 inches. It was a blast and yeah. two foot of water. Yeah, it sounds like an awesome time. I mean, I, I think one of the coolest things, you know, about your area and, and where you're guiding is when I first really started to learn about Florida saltwater fishing, it was hearing about the redfish, the speckled trout, the snook, the tarpon, and that's all, all those things are what you have uh, in that area, you know, from that deeper water all the way up to the, the shallow flats, um, which I, I think that's super cool for anybody who would think about going down to that area and fishing with you. Absolutely. Yeah. We have the, the redfish is a year round thing. I mentioned those little peaks for the bulls. Um, but year round, you can go on the flats of Mosquito Lagoon and catch good numbers of redfish up shallow. Um, the fall, the fall and the cooler months, fall through winter is typically our best season, uh, for, for your highest numbers and your best conditions for sight fishing. You have the cleaner water, less rain, less runoff, um, to higher salinity levels too, which they seem to like. Uh, all those big moons, they seem to group up and school on really good. Uh, so that's been, that's been the pattern recently is those days leading up to a full moon are absolutely fire and you're still catching them after those full moons, but it's, it's not the same. It gets really good leading up to those moons. Awesome. Well, I have to ask you, you know, since we've been talking about your guide business and, and getting into that, what, what's that journey been like for you getting into guiding? Well, I came in a little bit naive to it. I thought, oh, shoot, you know, I, I got my license. I got a boat. Now I'm going to be a full-time fishing guide. And it doesn't exactly work like that. You got to really build your credibility, um, both with the guides in your area and, uh, you know, every every client that you get um, and kind of clientele as, as a whole. And then just getting the word out there about um, about your service and what you can do and why people should go with you has been a real learning curve, but uh, fun to tackle for sure. That's awesome. I, I can't imagine, you know, what it must feel like to go through all those challenges, get somebody to go out with you and then help them catch their first redfish or their first speckled trout. I can't imagine what that feeling must be like. Oh yeah. Even that was a bit of a learning curve too, is, you know, I was so used to going out there with a friend or my uh, fiance or somebody and we'd have no problem catching fish. And then you go out with a, a client that maybe has never done that before. And there's a, it's a real difference in coaching them into that fish versus doing what you know how to do what you've done many times before. So that's been probably the most exciting thing to me is learning, learning so much more about fishing that I felt like I knew how to do, but there's just so many other angles, per se, angles you could say on how to get things done, how to make it happen, um, how to make it easier for your clients. And then two, you know, if, if I go out there, I can go straight to a spot and maybe have a shot, have three or four shots and not, uh, you know, do pretty well, get maybe two of those fish, maybe three of those fish out of the four. Well, with a client, you're going to need better numbers typically because you want to keep them busy all day long. And uh, so it's really been uh, challenging in the best way to make me a better fisherman. I've really enjoyed that process. And continue. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I'm sure that'll go on forever. Have it just getting better and better and better. <laughs> definitely. I could definitely sympathize with that feeling of, you know, I know there's some places around my home waters where I go to, I catch fish pretty regularly and 
then somebody wants to go with me and I'm trying to lower their expectations because I'm thinking, oh, great, this is going to be the time we go out and get skunked. And, <laughs> you know, they're never going to yeah. believe me. They're actually fishing the water. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, you can have that for sure. And, you know, it's with the pattern always changes in Mosquito Lagoon. I've noticed, uh, especially with the redfish, it seems like every week and a half something changes either you're going to the fly that you've been throwing is no longer working or the fish are no longer in that area and um, they're not necessarily in a different area or different conditions it's just there's a lot of pressure I think is part of it that moves them around and so you're constantly having to having to readjust and stay on top of things um, um, my issue with it is I'd always I think I'd be just like screaming at the client <laughs> I already think knows this firsthand. Like I just, you know, sometimes they just got to get in their heads. Yeah, my my uh, my friends, they have uh, they've wondered about that, and I've I found that you know, with the clients, they're you know they're paying for the pleasure, so I'm not going to get mad at them, and I'm trying to I'll do my best to coach them into it. But when a close friend or family member of mine misses a shot, I come unglued. They they can't believe that I that I can be friends with these clients at the end of the day. I'm like that's. Nah, it's it's a totally different vibe. It's funny, but um, yeah. Somebody when somebody close to me steps on the boat, it's a different different game for sure. Yeah, I think I have the same experience. My wife, I mean, there's sometimes with my wife, she messes up so bad, and I just unleash. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because there's one time there's one time we were on the boat, and it was like an easy cast, and like the fish was feeding really good. He was like just eating and eating and eating and eating, and she took one cast and got it all tangled up. Mm. And yeah. you know, it's, it's a short window. I mean, that's it. You only got like a couple shots, and if he stops eating, you're done. Sure. Uh, I I just I I might have lost it a little bit too much on that one. She just was like, <laughs> nope, I'm not fishing anymore. We're done. Oh yeah, I've <laughs> had that with my. Like, no, oh shit. I've I've been there for sure. My my girlfriend, well, now fiance is the same way. I've if I uh, lose my cool too much, the day's over for her. She's gonna get <laughs> out the book and chill. I definitely know that about Bobby getting into people's heads because I, I've told the story before, but you know, the first time he took me trout fishing with the fly rod, you know, I, to this day, when I go trout fishing, I can still hear him saying, okay, big men now, now let it be, let it be. And, you know, yeah. like I can hear it in my head as I'm watching the indicator go down the street. So <laughs> that's awesome. Keep you on your toes. Huh? Yeah. And you no, know, exactly. Sometimes that's what a client or an individual needs. They'll actually, you know, maybe respond better to that, but with the uh, women that we're close to, it doesn't seem to be that way. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think one of the coolest things about my trip with you was that was the first time that I had been on a skiff in shallow saltwater flats with somebody on the polling tower, pulling me around, spotting fish, coaching me through all that. And, you know, I, I can say that um, I felt like as soon as you saw those redfish, I, by what you were telling me, I knew exactly where they were, exactly what cast I needed to make and what I needed to do as far as the presentation goes to get them to strike. So that whole experience, in addition to catching my first redfish, was probably one of the coolest things about the trip. Yeah, well, I mean, that's big kudos to you, though, because a lot of people aren't great listeners, too. And I would say if, if there's anybody out there that's booking, booking um, guides regularly and having a hard time is really slow down and pay attention to what they're saying, because you. Um, you had pr pretty much immediate success on those two redfish shots we had uh, in the, at the end of the day. And that was because you, you know, listened really well to exactly what I said and you reacted just beautifully to it. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, the way I look at it is I'm, 
by no expert uh, or by no means an expert in any fishery. So I'm always going to listen to what somebody says who does it a lot more often than me. Yeah, that's for sure. That that attitude um, I think goes a long way on the water. You know, definitely. Always being so. Um, so just to, I think we touched on this a little bit, but for anybody looking to book with you, you do offer both fishing with spinning rods and fly fishing if clients are interested, correct? That's right. Spin in, spin or fly. And then, um, I've had a handful of clients that will come and, you know, one, one guy uh, is a fly fisherman and brings his buddy who isn't, we can, I can get them both on fish throughout the day. Okay. Awesome. You offer lunch. Random. Right now I'm not doing lunch, but in the full day charters, we have um, a good number of nice on the water restaurants that we can. Uh, oh, that's sweet. That. Yes, yeah, so we can run out of the flats, pull up to, at the dock, go have lunch and then get back out there and finish our day. Oh, you should you should you should definitely like advertise that because that's cool. Yeah, I probably should be a little more actually. Speaking of somebody who pretty much just remembers guide trips by food. <laughs> I have this one buddy, Kevin Spararco from the Delaware. Yeah, his wife cooks some chicken. I think she puts crack in it. <laughs> and it's incredible. Uh, and there's another guy down by you who who I haven't fished with yet. It's Justin Nguyen. Mm. Uh, and he does like all these like Vietnamese style home cooked meals that he brings for his clients. Uh, you know, it just adds something special to the day. Yeah, it really it does. I, if I could. Uh... I don't know. I'm just not the best chef. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be killing oh, people when we're just trying to catch some fish, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I have a, a good size cooler that I'll have loaded up with waters uh, for the clients and, oh. and ice, you know, and they're always welcome to bring whatever other drinks and food they want as well too. Oh, I like that on the water restaurant though. That is. That's oh amazing. yeah. It's fun. Yeah. That is a cool idea. Um, so, you know, we've been talking a lot about the mosquito lagoon and the new Smyrna area. So maybe um, you can tell our listeners a little bit more about where that's located and also what makes that area so special. Absolutely. So it's about, if you're in, or, in Orlando, pretty much anywhere in Orlando, you're about an hour and 15 minutes uh, from new Smyrna beach or even closer. Um, it's just Northeast to, on the East coast, um, a little bit North of Orlando. And what really makes it special is the combination of the inlet, intercoastal, and lagoon setup that we have. Uh, Mosquito Lagoon, biologically, is considered a miniature ocean, meaning that lots of the fish species that live there won't leave or go out of the inlet uh, to spawn or complete any other cycle in their lifetime. They can fully exist within that environment. And, um, and so that makes that's pretty special. And then Mosquito Lagoon... Off the top of my head, I forget quite how many miles it is from top to bottom, but on it's somewhere around 20 miles uh, from top to bottom, and then averaging two to f- uh, four miles wide all the way down. And the average depth is something like four feet. So most there's there's you know 25,000 acres of two foot deep or less flats to fish. So that in itself is just an amazing thing. Um, recently, the water quality has gotten far better right now. It looks like a swimming pool and there's little buds of grass everywhere. Some areas, the uh, turtle grass is actually coming back pretty good and maybe three, four inches tall, which is great because it makes the redfish tail again. When it was all sandy, we weren't getting them tailing as much. And then uh, if you keep going north from Mosquito Lagoon, you hit uh, the town of Edgewater, which is where me and you, Tyler, launched. 
And there you have sort of this in-between zone. You can run into some flats and backwaters that's uh, just a little bit more uh, oysters and uh, mud banks. And then you're maybe a 15-minute idle from Ponce Inlet and getting being able to run out into the ocean. Uh, the Gulf Stream here is a little bit farther as we're in like central North Florida, 45-mile run out to the Gulf Stream. But you have pretty much everything you could want in this little area from sailfish and mahi-mahi all the way into uh, redfish, sea trout, and snook. That's awesome. Yeah, it is a really great combination of all that in, in one area, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and the lagoon is just such a special area. It's uh, You can cut through the Holliver Canal and go into the Indian River Lagoon, and it's a, immediately a different, a different zone. The fish respond differently. Even the lure colors uh, are different. There's a little bit more of a tan in water there, whereas in the lagoon, it's like they call it a miniature ocean. It's just beautiful what was that inlet you just mentioned ponce inlet possible no you didn't yeah. say like holliver inlet oh holliver canal oh it's not the inlet i oh yeah not the famous just an aside i was like if i was out there i don't think we'd fish i think i would just sit at the inlet and watch boats go in and out of it. oh yeah no it's yeah it's not quite as exciting as the as the holliver inlet but <laughs> it's a good there's a it's a good spot to catch some bull reds and big black drum though oh cool yeah you uh you mentioned water quality a bunch of times now what Mm -hmm. happened is that just from the runoff that's been plaguing everywhere or is there some event that happened up there so just i'm not a you know a marine biologist or anything so from what i've heard and from what i've seen it seems like our main issue is our water drain systems essentially what happens is we get too low of a salinity in the lagoon and that allows the algae to bloom as well as all of the fertilizers that drain into the lagoon and uh other intercoastal waterways. Um, so this gives you like a red tide sort of, I think they've called it a brown tide in our area. Some maybe a slightly different species of algae, but that really chokes out uh, the sunlight. So all the grass dies. And from there, you just have silt moving around in it. In uh, 2019, 2020, um, even into 2021, it was unrecognizable. There's zero grass. Um, you couldn't see three inches into the water and there were still fish there, but um it was it was really different really heartbreaking so essentially that hurricane seems to or it was picking back up but that hurricane seems to have really wiped out a lot of um the bad water so to speak that we had um but yeah that it it seems to be a combination of the salinity level and then the fertilizers or herbicides that we get get flushed into the water And, and then not to mention the lagoon you know the north end of it is eight miles or so um, from Ponce Inlet and the rest of it being obviously even further, even further from that. So it's really, it takes a long time for it to cycle out of that, to, to wash out that water. That's really good though. If you're saying that turtle grass is coming back because I mean, you know, I'm, I'm no expert either, but from my understanding, turtle grass is like the indicator of some of the best, you know, water quality on your shallow water flats. I mean, I know all these, a lot of the guides that I've, heard and about water quality down in florida talk about the turtle glass the turtle grass and if it needs to come back and and those kinds of things absolutely and yeah i I wouldn't know for sure either but that makes a lot of sense because what we'd have um a little bit of growth of patina grass that sort of skinnier stringy stuff that you'll see and that's good good grass but um that would come around still uh when the water would clear up a little bit but not really be that healthy now that we're seeing these big patches of the trail grass come back and the water is just beautiful, that, that makes a lot of sense. 
How often do you guys see manatees while you're out? Just as another aside to throw you off. Yeah, sure. Um, in the summertime, there's loads. Uh, manatee lovers w- may not like this, but if you run your boat for maybe six days in a row in Mosquito Lagoon in the summertime, you you will have a very close call or bump one. Um, oh, wow. They, it, they get everywhere. And these poor guys are just not the best at a uh, directionally like uh the, you'll you'll see them spook off and they'll be headed towards your your line of travel and you're swerving all over the flats trying not to hurt them of course um but so yeah we have a ton of them in the summertime in the winter time it gets too cold for them out in that shallow water and they head back up in the rivers um in uh turnbull creek there's loads of them right now but yeah really i know our numbers dropped off from the, the grass dine and the water issues we've seen what the water issues affecting mosquito lagoon weren't just contained to that area they were in the very similar symptoms uh and these waterways are connected from um new smyrna beach all the way down to stewart florida where that water actually comes out of um comes out of lake okeechobee while we're on the subject of uh marine mammals i know i was absolutely blown away by the number of dolphins that are around your area and how uh, bold they are and how willing they are to come right up to the boat to try to steal your catch. Absolutely. Yeah. They can be, they, they can be some bullies, uh, at nighttime when you're dock light fishing, I found little tricks to kind of keep them, keep them out of our hair. Uh, you really want to keep your fish from jumping or head shaking on the surface. Cause that seems to just give them, give them a, uh, I don't know. They're able to pinpoint that really well. So if you can keep them down, land them quickly, that goes a long way. And then releasing them, if the dolphins are on you, we'll go up into a different dock that we're not fishing and release them right against the seawall or something like that. Um, Otherwise, just no splashing on the release. If you can release them quietly, that goes a long way. If you, uh, every once in a while, we'll catch a small jack or something. And just to show the clients or my buddies why I'm being so careful, you can toss that five, 10 feet from the boat. And in two seconds, a dolphin will be there throwing it in the air saying, oh, really? look what I got. But yeah. And then you got to be careful if you're in a small boat and uh, not giving the dolphin his fish because they'll start to bump your canoe or John boat. And they they uh, they aren't happy when you're not sharing. <laughs> Unreal. Oh, yeah. So forget the sharks. They're doing a remake of Jaws down in Mosquito Lagoon. It's going to be dolphins. Yeah, I would be much, be. <laughs> yeah, I would be much more nervous about the dolphins in a canoe at night than the sharks for sure. <laughs> you getting talking about sharks do you do any sharks on the fly um a little i want to get into it more i haven't done a lot of it but um in the summertime we get a great migration of uh the bull sharks and lemon sharks along with more spinner sharks uh from south florida and uh whether they're following the tarpon or just like those same water temperatures i'm not sure but um that would i would really like to get into that more i've caught a few off the beach uh in the um i've seen them in the fall and the spring but the pups like uh one to three foot lemon sharks and black tips uh will come in in the shallow shallow water on the beach and you can walk around and sight fish those they're they're pretty tricky to get to eat something but um but yeah it's pretty cool and they that's my experience great. i uh when i was in the keys i was doing bonefish trip and we had a couple black tips swim on by and, you know, my guy was telling me either they're going to eat it or they ain't going to even look at it. And pretty much threw the fly on top of him like a hundred times. And he just didn't give two shits at all. He just went on by nice and slow. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's cheating. It's not a purist fly fishing, but 
I've seriously considered just uh, soaking the flies in a chum bag for overnight or something. And then yeah, pitching them in there. I think it, that would work pretty dang good, but <laughs> we've done that for uh tog or, or blackfish. We, uh, you could soak a fly in like crab juices. Oh yeah. And throw it down to the bottom and it gets them to, to chomp it a little bit more and, and eat yeah. it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But I'm guessing for sharks. Yeah. Just, or, you know, I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well just put a little piece of meat on it and chuck it out there. Right. And yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> the other thing I've, I've heard a lot about is just teasing them up, just getting them really fired up to eat something and then whip that out and, you know, bait and switch with the fly. They're going to, they're going to crush it because they're all, they're all ready. But, um, but yeah, and you know, I'm, uh, if I'm not with a client, I'm fishing for stuff that the clients want to be catching so I can stay on top of that. Uh, I'd love to get some more clients that are interested to go out there and shark fish so I could uh, justify spending some more time getting on top of that. Come down there. I always want to do weird things. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was in Connecticut and I met a trout guy and we were out there, we were trout fishing. I was like, dude, this sucks. Like, mm. like I caught a hundred trout. Let's do something different. He's like, you want to go carp fish? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <That's what laughs> I do. Right. Yeah. Or like those sheep said, you know, that's something you don't hear yeah. about much, like people targeting those on fly. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, I know you also have something down there off your beaches that Bobby enjoys fishing for. Many of our people up here in the Northeast like too, as well. And that's, would be uh, like false albacore and bonita. Mm-hmm. You have those down there as well that you can go for off the beaches. You have some experience with that, right? Yeah, a little bit. I know when me and you went out, we went looking for them and didn't see any of the schools up that morning. But in the summertime, they come in and uh, we'll group up on the um, on the ballyhoo and glass minnows. The ballyhoo, when the ballyhoo are in, they really get fired up. Uh, the glass minnows, they'll feed a little bit under the surface more often. But that's fun. Uh, that's just a lot of fun. We, I need to experiment more with trying to chum them in, but for the most part, the way we've been targeting them is either with binoculars or just uh, the naked eye, get out on the beach and start cruising. And they're pretty obvious. You'll see some whitewater thrown and run out there and you got to be a, a little bit sneaky, but still we're pretty much always running the outboard, uh, getting up within casting distance, getting a few shots before they move on. And, you know, sometimes they stay put for, for 10 minutes, just gorging on the surface and you can, uh, they're, they're awesome. They, they hit the fly or lures really good. Um, you can troll for them with spoons. Like when we're tarpon fishing, sometimes uh, as the day goes on and the tarpon start going a little deeper or just aren't really in that feeding mode anymore, you can troll your way back to the inlet with uh, some little spoons and whack whack the uh, bonita and Spanish mackerel. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby, do you have any other questions about fishing in the Mosquito Lagoon area before we kind of switch gears here? No, let's switch gears. Let's talk clothing. I like clothing. Okay. I also like clothing. Uh, In (laughs) fact, I just got my first shirt from Aquatic Stalker here recently. So, uh, you know, like we talked about before, Hunter, you co-own Aquatic Stalker. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what Aquatic Stalker is and how it got started. Absolutely. So how it got started really was um, I have my, my typical, my guide Instagram account, and um, at the time, I, I wasn't guiding yet, actually. I sort of got into the guiding and starting the aquatic stalker business at the same time uh, around two years ago. And um, so I had this other Instagram account just for my fishing photos. And my uh, my Instagram account is Hunter of the Water. I was like, well, what's something, you know, sort of like that, sort of a, a cover name? And thought aquatic stalker is pretty much that same meaning, just with different words. And so had had just a, you know... 20 followers and just some close friends and posting fishing pictures. And uh, 
my dad is in advertising and he thought the name was really good. I always really liked the name and we got some more outside feedback and other people liked it. So we figured we could try to make it into a clothing brand and went from there. Um, alongside that, we, I, or I had noticed that just all the fishing gear out there looks so similar. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's all very functional, but I like the idea of standing out a little bit, not being another clone out there in the same, uh, same fish, same looking fishing gear. So what our ultimate goal with it is, is to kind of bring back that seventies and eighties fisherman style of um, those old school striped button ups and uh, jean shorts, that whole deal. But with these uh, modern, uh, modern materials, and so that's kind of our goal moving forward is to build out an inventory of really cool throwback uh, styles that is as comfortable as anything else that you can get on the market today. That's awesome. Um, so what kind of products do you offer with Aquatic Stalker? Right now we have the um, what we call our Fisherman's Hoodie, which is the very popular uh, sort of a surf shirt material uh, hoodie. It's a great um great great piece of clothing that you can wear to stay warm or to stay cool really keeps the sun off of you great gives you a little bit more shade on the edges of your sunglasses with the hood that it has um and just kind of something that you can wear all the time and then we have uh two styles of hats the dad hat and the mesh back uh six panel hat the mesh back six panel is very comfortable but we're working on a couple things with that um the dad hat in black, we found through some research and personal use that a black, the black on the underside of your brim is really beneficial for sight fishing. It absorbs that light that's being reflected back at you off the water around your eyes. And um, and so, yeah, we want to move into making all of our hats with black on the under underside of the brim is another goal moving forward. Um but yeah, and then uh, and then just our regular T-shirts. You guys, I guess other people can't see, but you guys can see. I got one of the aquatic soccer tees on now, which is um, right now we have in gray and sort of an army green. Um, we I, our one uh, hoodie is a little brighter, but for the most part, other than um, uh, other than looking to those older styles, we want to keep it relatively camouflaged, uh, especially in sight fishing scenarios or trout fishing in uh, in the trout streams. You know, in that clear water having a having clothing that sort of blends into your surroundings can make a big difference. I was just going to ask that. So you believe in that? I do. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, I mean, even I've noticed on the polling platform, turning your head can spook one or when you go to crouch down uh, if he's too close already, that'll spook one. And um, so, yeah, just something to help you blend in a little bit. They're, they're looking at you, they see you. So if you can, uh, if you can blend in a little, it'll certainly help. Yeah, I I mean I asked that, but I fully believe that too. Like if I'm in I'm a, if I'm fishing the bank, I try to wear like camo or something tree colored. Yeah, yep. but I try to match the sky. That's what I always it's my go to. Yeah, out on the flats, like a a gray, depending on the skies, and light blue definitely seems to help, especially when those fish get close. Yeah, I know. I just got my um the shirt that I got is the the button up short sleeve shirt, and I. I haven't gotten to try it out yet because, you know, it's been like 30 degrees out. But um, at the same time, it is super soft and it's super lightweight. So I know that uh, on some of those days, especially when I'm out on my bass boat or I'm saltwater fishing in the summer, that's going to come in real handy, keeping me cool. 
Oh yeah. That thing, that thing does breathe nicely. It's a, it's a lifesaver out there on a hot one. Awesome. Um, so what do you think the future holds for aquatic stalker? Where do you see it going in the years to come? Well, other than, uh, our, our big battle right now is working out, um, sort of the supply chain, uh, deal. It's, we've had a really hard time fulfilling our orders uh up until now at least uh so we're looking for the right vendors to move forward with on a lot of this um beyond that i would really like to be uh to start some inshore fishing tournaments especially fly fishing tournaments and host them through aquatic stalker would be a big goal of mine something i'd really like to do um to me that's really exciting uh growing up i would fish some bass fishing tournaments so junior bass fishing tournaments and it's just so exciting. I love that environment. Every bite, every fish is so much more exciting. It's a, a great way to kind of push yourself and uh, see how you're doing out there. So I'd like to, I'd like to see Aquatic Stalker host some tournaments and, um, and yeah, just try to make better and better uh, clothing for fishermen, make things that, you know, are useful and uh, aren't only just pretty to the eye, you know, but make, make your day on the water better. Definitely. Do you think that some of the old school um, fly fishermen from Florida and like, you know, like Flip Pallet and some of those other individuals that became famous for their saltwater fly fishing down the Keys. Do you think that influenced kind of where you wanted Aquatic Stalker to go? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the first photo that we used kind of as a mood board and a lot of this stuff, I know if people go to the website now, they'll see the more typical fishing stuff. Uh, so it's a relatively new company. We are, we haven't released. Um, some of the more uh, sort of identity forming pieces. Um, but yeah, our first mood board was a picture of Lefty Cray and Flip Pallet firing it through the, with a huge engine out in the flats in the Keys. And they're both just wearing these sort of psychedelic <laughs> looking uh, striped and plaid shirts and everything. And, uh, and yeah, I just think there's a lot more character in that and a lot more, it's a lot more fun than, um, than your than your typical than your typical uh, fishing clothing. Who did the art? I'm I'm staring at your shirts right now. The what? Who did the art on the back of the shirts? Do you have like the female? Oh, we had oh, shoot, I can't remember his name, but it was a, a designer that my my father has worked with for a while. Cool. Um, yeah, and we kind of I drew up a, sort of a mock of that fin, um, and he 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 made it a lot better than my drawing, but. Yeah. Yeah, so we were either going with either a school of fish making that A or the, the fin making an A for aquatic. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, we were pretty happy. I'm glad you guys like it. We were really happy with how that turned out. I mean, I just, I love the name. The the whole idea about aquatic stalker and on the stalk. I mean, I think it's just the perfect wording for what you're doing on the flats, you know, having gone and experienced that for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I guess I skipped over that part a little bit, but that's the other uh the other proponent to aquatic stalker is um you know it's what happens on the stock that makes fishing so awesome. Um it's in the moment that kind of the journey that especially in flats fishing, you're polling and hunting and you're on the stock uh in your fishing endeavor. And uh but you're really, you know, you're on the stock if you're gonna go find some good waves or if you're gonna uh, run offshore you're you're hunting these fish really um we're waiting a trout stream you're on the you're on the stock you're hunting these fish and so that's that's also you know where the where the name comes from and sort of the identity behind the brand is uh, 
what it's all about is being on the hunt. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so right now, our Aquatic Stalkers uh, products, are they solely available online on your website or are you having any plans to get them into some retail stores? Yeah, we have... Um... We were in, uh, with our last run of clothing, we were in the Altamont Mall um, in Central Florida at a shop called Oceanology. If you're in that area, it's a great shop uh, for fishing clothing. It's not a not um, tackle or anything like that, but it's uh, family run, really great, great uh, family that's totally into fishing. Um, and you can check out some of our stuff there. Otherwise, at the moment, we're pretty much exclusively on online at aquaticstalker.com but we will be looking uh this spring with the new line of clothing coming out to be getting into retailers up and down the east coast especially will be kind of our starting point that's great looking forward to seeing some of those products in some of my local stores hopefully um bobby do you have any other questions about aquatic stalker or apparel anything like that before we move on no let's move on let's do it okay <laughs> All right. So, um, Hunter, this is where we kind of start to get into a little bit more about uh, you as a fisherman and some of your experiences. So uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what your favorite species is to target. I'm going to assume that it's redfish, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, and are there any bucket list fish species or bucket list destinations that you'd like to travel to or fish for? Well, uh, you assumed correctly at the moment, it's definitely redfish. Uh probably partially because they're accessible, but I just love what they do. And I love the visual way that you can fish for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, if a snook would tail and cruise the flats like a redfish, I probably wouldn't fish for redfish. But that being said, the reds are awesome. Uh, it's kind of our, our northern bonefish, so to speak. Um, see, I love fishing for them. I love fishing for snook. Everybody loves tarpon, of course, you know, when they come to town, that's pretty much how we're going to start every day is trying to find a couple big tarpon first um unless of course you know the client for some reason doesn't want to do that you'd have to be crazy not to want to at least try to jump a big tarpon but um and then as far as places to go the keys are just the most special place in in my mind um i've been there a handful of times and uh just i, I can't get enough of the keys but as far as places i haven't been to i've that uh fishing for the Dorado and I believe it's Argentina is where they are. And, but in South America, those big golden trout um, up in the mountains in those beautiful streams, that looks amazing. Those fish seem hard hitting. They, they seem like a snook that you put in fresh water in a river. I mean, oh, in the clips. Golden the Dorado. Watch. Yeah. I was, think, I was thinking Mahi Mahi for a second. I was like, Argentina, Mahi Mahi, what are you talking about? Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, because I, I, there's got to be another name, but I guess Golden Dorado. But yeah, Golden Dorado. Yeah, I have the same infatuation with them, though. They look sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, you know, I, I don't think there's just anything other, anything else like that in a freshwater stream around the world. So I'd love to try that. Uh, the black bass in Papua New Guinea, I've heard a lot about and from reading some of Lefty Cray's books and Thomas McGuane, they they talk very highly of them and as a hard fighting fish. And I love I love a hard fighting fish. Jumps are great, but I love to really pull on a fish and test your tackle. Uh, so those two things would be really cool to go check out. Definitely. Oh, I think, you know, we talked a lot about you fishing for redfish, but I don't think I asked you what your PB redfish is. Um, 
Well, my, the longest redfish I caught was way back in the day. We were out camping in the lagoon and uh, fishing some dock lights at night. Uh, we got a 59 incher on a little two inch mirrored mirrodine. Um, he ran wow. up in this, we, you know, we're, uh, I'm sure you can imagine the dock light fishing, but you have a little orb of light from the dock light on the water and you're kind of fishing around those edges or even sight fishing ones that you'll see in there, but just kind of blind cast past it and was working it through and got a thump a little too low in the water column to see what was up. And it runs into this dock up underneath it, maybe 15 feet, three times and comes straight back out instead of, you know, taking any turns, any turns would have broke us off, comes straight back out. I'm like, all right, nice. We got, this is going to be a good one. You know, it's not a little dink trout and um, just went by the boat out into the channel and zoos. so, oh, that's something else. And about an hour later, we landed that one. Uh, recently, I got one, not longer. It was um, only maybe 48 inches. I can't, I can't remember. It was 46 or 48 inches, but it was the heaviest, fattest redfish I've ever gotten uh, by far. It was an absolute tank. Um, and we got him fishing really nearby to that stretch of docks, actually fishing this bridge at night with some live bait and uh, much heavier tackle. Uh, that one only took about 10 minutes to get in, but it's 10 minutes of fighting for your life, really, when you're in the bridge. Um, and then on fly... I uh, got a 46 incher is my new biggest. I uh, got this summer out on the flats um, when I was in actually in August when we were seeing those big, big ones up on the flats uh, consistently. And uh, so, yeah, those are the, those are the PBs for the reds. Yeah. Those are, that's some huge redfish. Um, I, I, one thing I noticed about redfish catching my first one with you is that I don't think many people realize is how blue their tails are which is pretty crazy mm -hmm. you know i mean you just kind of think about that that red and gold color that they have but that bright blue on their tail is just so beautiful yeah absolutely and i've i've heard i don't know how true it is but i hear a lot of people say um and i mean we may have talked about this at the time but that they get that bright blue pigment from eating blue crabs that somehow that works its way through their through their system and comes out that way uh, I don't know for sure about that, but it kind of makes sense. I don't, you, you catch a lot of redfish in some areas that don't have that blue tail either. But um, yeah, in the lagoon, they pretty much all of them have that lit up blue tail. And it's, you will either see when you're looking for fish, I'll tell people you either see their pectoral fin, the little orange flash, because it's perpendicular to their body. It'll catch the sunlight uh, more so as their body is kind of reflecting uh, the ground around them, which is great camouflage. You'll see their shadow a lot of times before you'll see their the sides of their body actually but that blue tail and those peck fins will be some of the first things you see a lot so i've heard the same myth about this blue crab thing yeah and then i think about how blue is a blue crab yeah i mean well, it's not very blue right <laughs> it's not all of them but on the inside of their arms some of them are pretty lit up yeah i just you know you'd have to eat a lot of blue crabs for i think yeah. the blue to come out like that but yeah, I, I don't know yeah. I mean, I will say there were a lot of blue crabs, at least that day that that you and I were out. I remember seeing a lot of them kind of swimming around or crawling mm -hmm. across the bottom in the flats. So, I mean, they're definitely there. So I, I can't imagine that they're not eating them. But oh, yeah, man, yeah. What, yeah, do you know, what, what are you throwing at these redfish? Are you throwing crab flies or? Um, I like I like pretty abstract patterns um, like that. Typically, I'm worried about uh, overall color, overall profile. And then the weight of the fly, 
so on the flats we're th- throwing not i don't really throw a lot of bait fish patterns because sometimes you'll get a redfish that it just isn't into that and you can normally get the snook or trout that that bait fish pattern would be good for to eat your your um sort of shrimpy looking fly okay um so yeah i'll throw a lot of b- basic redfish bugs but kind of with my own twist on them uh right now not everybody will be able to see but you guys will right now this has been what we're throwing what's been working really good and what's funny i was telling you how those fish and this is just a tan um i don't know maybe two and a half inch long with size small dumbbell eyes in black and red and then we got a wool sort of merkin main body I'm say, it looks like a surfing merkin yeah yeah pretty much pretty much um which we call it uh craft fur tail and then for the center to give it a little leg feeling uh hackle spun around that little dark brown hackle and that's been really good but they you know they constantly switch like uh the week before it was uh this one which is still sort of american but with the ep brush and dark green and this one is a little newer we changed that uh for the winter time to make it a little smaller a little shrimpier but they were eating like a black or dark dark green um little redfish bug but pretty much like a merkin or quan variation um i normally go real short on the tail i've found um when you watch bait fish and shrimp and uh even crabs in the water there's not a lot of action to them like a pinfish or a bluegill move around in the water with very subtle movements and uh sort of the same thing with the shrimp so i try to keep pretty stiff uh static presentations um versus something with a lot of action i think works a little bit better especially on pressured fish that are used to seeing a lot of different things i think it's a little little more subtle and it's been working for us do you tie your own or are you buying yeah right now i'll tie um pretty much everything that i use i'll tie i'll uh sorry i'll actually buy some bait fish patterns um if need be but I, I I can tie pretty much everything that we need. Sometimes I'll just see something that I like and buy a few of them and even, you know, or, or buy something just so I can recreate it later at home. Cool, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. That's a whole, a whole hobby in itself, you know, it's tying the flies and feels so, so good to catch something on you. Oh, on your fly. Yeah. It makes it, um, yeah, levels it up. So this next question is probably one of Bobby and I's favorite questions. And that is, Tell us about your most memorable trip. And that can either be one that, uh, you know, something had a really great day of fishing, something awesome happened, or something disastrous happened that made you laugh later, but wasn't very funny in the moment when it did happen. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a lot of those, the latter part there. Um, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have to give you, I have to give you a couple, but we'll start out in the younger years on that Wakiva River that I grew up fishing um me and a buddy were uh headed down there and we would fish this section from the wakaiva marina down to a place called shell island and it's about a mile and a half uh stretch of river and we would just pick it apart we, you know we we were going to be there all day and didn't want to paddle any farther than that so we'd pick it apart and we'd fish this one little area we called alligator creek that would split off of the main river and there's just enough sort of open water for the canoe to get down the middle and we we're flipping and pitching uh, for bass with real heavy punch baits and uh, my buddy whiffs it on one flies out of the canoe backwards hits this mat of thick mat of hyacinth and dollar dollar weed 
and just disappears. Like I, I thought I would never see him again. We might've been 13, 12 at the time. I was pretty sure he was gone, but he popped up out of there. Like somebody coming out of the grave and just like, it was, Oh my gosh, was walking across that, that stuff pretty much back in the canoe. Um, and yeah, I, I've never had that happen, but I, that looks freaky, especially with all the gators in there. Um, oh yeah. So that was, that's one. Um, another one actually with the same, with the same buddy, we were, uh, fishing mosquito lagoon now. And in the summertime, uh, we're fishing, fishing the reds, uh, for the morning. And we're just getting an itch to run down to the mosquito ditches and look for the baby tarpon. And pretty much every forecast we could find said that that was not going to be a good idea. Summertime in Florida, you get these big rolling thunderstorms pretty much every eve- every afternoon. And that's what looked like was happening. But we found one uh, radar app that said it there might be a little pocket for us to slip through the storm um, down south. We're like, all right, that's that's all we needed. And so we take off. I think it was about a 12-mile run from where we were to um, the mosquito ditches. And about the time we get there, it hit and it was an, I mean, it was a crazy storm. We're huddled in the, in the boat, trying to stay away from all the metal pieces and pushing it back, uh, trying to, trying to kind of get back headed home. But the uh, wind was running, like I mentioned, it's uh, 20 miles long, but only two, uh, two to four miles or so wide, might be a little wider than that in some areas. But so when the wind gets up and down in this thing it can blow for a long way with no impediment and that creates some pretty good sized swells even in this uh shallow body of water and uh this is in a different skiff a little 15 footer and we're taking on water bad so we just shoot it blind can't see anything through the rain to the other side um knowing that there's some islands over there you get the boat kind of beached on the edge of one and get up in this island and the mosquito lagoon doesn't have a lot of uh, tides because it's doesn't have much of a tide uh, fluctuation being so far from an inlet, but it gets some wind tides and this wind was pushing water in. So we're at the highest spot of this little uh, mangrove island getting eaten alive by bugs, absolutely soaked and the water's rising. And all of a sudden where, where we were in dry ground, we're now in ankle deep water. So uh, we sat through that for about an hour, really miserably. And um, finally started a break, seemed like we were going to make our way back and we get out to where the boat is and it's on dry land now that the water has receded. Oh from the my God. Oh no. So then for the next hour, we just, we were breaking our backs to get this thing back in the water off of this mud bank and uh, eventually did, eventually made it home. And yeah, that was definitely one of those not fun at the moment, but a lot of fun to look back on kind of times. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a pretty rough day out on the water. Yeah, it wasn't. A, I think we, I think we jumped one like two pound tarpon when we got down there, and then and then uh, that happened. So, it wasn't quite worth it, but it was a good memory. <laughs> I've had a similar situation. Quick side, I won't tell the whole story where we were duck hunting and the tide went out. Oh yeah, and it was. I mean, there it was mud. There was just no pushing it, and we just had to sit there till like ten p.m. and wait for the tide to come back in. Yeah. That was the scary thing in that situation is it wasn't a tied deal. Like yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, so luckily we were able to get it back in, but yeah, that, that was, I, it was something special. <laughs> I think the worst part of that for me would have been just 
having to sit there and wait and getting eaten alive by the bugs while oh, you yeah. have to sit there and wait. That is just miserable. Yeah. Yeah. There's no escaping the bugs. Um, and I was getting a little worried about having to stay there for the night because it was so rough on the lagoon and that little boat I had at the time. I didn't know if we were going to make it back. I mean, it took us when it was flat calm, it took us almost 40 minutes to make that run and we'd be, we'd be almost idling back. So it was, we, we weren't so sure how it was going to end up. Gosh, I'd like spend the night on a mangrove island. Yeah, I, I like to come a little. I like camping out there, but I'd rather be a little bit more prepared than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those are some good stories. Um, Bobby, anything else before we start to wrap it yeah, up? That, here? Was, that was a great ending right there. Yes, it was. Awesome. That's for sure. Well, Hunter, um, before we let you go here, maybe you can tell our listeners um, where they can find you on social media how they can book a trip with you and where they can purchase their aquatic stalker gear. Absolutely. So I'm on uh, my guiding page on Instagram is hunter of the water, all one word. And uh, my website is hunterbach.com. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me to book a trip is either to just DM me on Instagram. I'm always uh, paying attention to those, or you can get on my website and call me. Uh, I also have a a messaging form on the website so we can email back and forth but i would say it's best to just call and we can get all your questions and uh yeah questions answered right away really efficiently um and then for the aquatic stalker the instagram page is aquatic underscore underscore excuse me stalker and aquatic stalker.com uh to get all you need in there awesome well, Hunter, thank you very much for being on this episode of Tide Chasers. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you again. I'm looking forward to coming back down to Florida this summer uh, and fishing with you. And I know that anyone who books a trip with you is going to have a great day uh, going out there, whether they're fishing with spinning gear or fly fishing, and getting to experience the shallow water flats of Mosquito Lagoon. I really appreciate that, man. It's been The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you, guys. Yeah, maybe thank time you. will coax me to get down there too he's trying oh yeah you got to i could take two people at a time oh you don't have to tell I wanna, me i want to i want to hear you hear how that uh yelling out tyler goes <laughs> <laughs> no not again i try to get away from that a little bit i mean hey bring some uh some white claws and <laughs> that'll come out real quick i think <laughs> right on he'll, he'll be he'll be fine after that he'll be all mellowed out and he won't be yelling anymore <laughs> Well, all righty, man. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you again this summer. We're going to get on some big fish for sure. Awesome. Definitely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tide Chasers podcast. Um, another great guest this evening. Um, please remember to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you book a trip with Hunter and get your aquatic stalker gear for your next stalking session on the flats. All right. Tight lines, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Tight lines. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.